my Philippians chapter 3. Now look, this thing records great. It is crystal clear. It sounded great on the radio. So I've got to remember to do this. So if I ever don't do this, somebody go, hey, we're informal enough. Say, hey, Brother Bob. Philippians chapter 3, again reading in verse 1. Now if there is a passage in the New Testament that is blessed. I mean, it talks about our relationship with the Lord. In the church age, it is Philippians 3. It is wonderful. Paul talks about his own personal walk with the Lord. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Let me tell you how you know when you've willingly and happily given up the things you've given up for the Lord when you don't even want them back. Amen. When they're just manure to you. Amen. They might be good for a little fertilizer, but other things you just don't care for. Now, when you're hurting for them and longing for them and like Lot's wife still looking back at Sodom, even as you're leaving it, missing it, you haven't done what Paul did. What Paul did was he gave all that stuff up and it was dung to him to win Jesus Christ. Now, when you're at that spot, you've given it up. But when you're, when you're still looking back at Sodom, let me tell you about Sodom. It's dung. Let me tell you about the United States of America. We're Sodom. Amen. <laughs> if, you're, if you're loving this right, this right now, you wouldn't have cared for the America that was 100 years ago. We are very different. In some ways, opposite. But uh, Paul had lost all these things for Christ and didn't even miss it. Verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. That's what Paul was at. He tried that law, and he did it. I mean, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Boy, I'll have to tip my hat to him. Have you oh, read yeah. the Old Testament law? <laughs> if he says he was blameless to that, whoa. And you know what? He doesn't miss it one bit. He's so excited about Jesus that he's even willing to look at the phrase in the middle of verse 10, fellowship of his sufferings. If he takes some sufferings for him, fine, bring them on. As long as I'm with Jesus, I'm good. When you really love somebody, you don't care if there's some suffering goes on with it. As long as you're with them, you're good. Uh, verse 11, 
If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Always wondered what that verse means. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful passage that is there in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm not going to try to preach all of it. I'm going to take my text mainly from verse 3 where he says this, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I want to preach this evening spiritual religion. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray your spirit come down and bear witness to the truth of your word and help us, Lord, to be spiritual in our religion and, our, and in our day-to-day -day life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say Paul gives a real short but perfectly adequate description of spiritual living. Now he says we are the circumcision. Now you know the early church had many Jewish converts and uh, they held on to their Old Testament Jewish law and I don't blame them. It did come from God and they were God's chosen people and the law was good and there's nothing about the law to be despised. It was good. It came from God. But the problem is we just can't live up to it. We don't want to get rid of the law because it was bad. We want to get rid of the law because we're bad. <laughs> so don't don't get mad at the law. It was good. Good point. Get yeah. mad at yourself because you're not good. <laughs> so we, we love the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. It's a great thing. It came straight from God, the inspiration of God. Law is great, but we're not, and we can't live up to it. So as great as it is and as godly as it is, it's kind of no use to us because... <laughs> just not something we can do. So one of the things that the Jews did is they would try to hold on to that law even when they were in the Pauline church. And they'd try to hold on to things like circumcision and take a bunch of take a bunch of pride in it and the fact that they're the circumcised Jews, you know, God's chosen people and everything. And uh, I'm told by those who have studied these things that some said circumcision <coughs> is even necessary to be saved. In other cases, they at least said, well, circumcision is necessary if we're going to fellowship with you. If you're some uncircumcised Gentile, we're not going to have anything to do with you. We won't eat with you and that sort of thing. But Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're in a spiritual realm now. We are the circumcision. <coughs> so I'm going to look at spiritual circumcision, not in defining it exactly, but in looking at the characteristics of those people who have it. And uh, this needs some explanation because circumcision was for the Jews. It's not for the Gentiles. We don't have to be circumcised. <clears throat> that, that was a, a sign between God and his people, similar to the Sabbath. We don't have to go by the Old Testament Sabbath. We don't have to go from Friday night at 6 o'clock to Saturday night at 6 o'clock and you know, not do any work and not go to a certain degree. We're not allowed to distance and not allowed to, you know, light any fires and all, this, all the different things that some people uh, put there in the, in the Sabbath. That was a sign between God and the Jews. We don't have to do a lot of these things. So what is Paul talking about when he's talking to a church that includes a bunch of Gentiles and says, uh, we are the circumcision? Well, he's talking about uh, spiritually speaking, what circumcision Amen. represented 
Although they did it literally and physically, we can very much have the spiritual representation of it. Uh, it represented separation from unbelievers. Whenever they were talking about the Gentiles, the heathen in their day, they'd say these uncircumcised Philistines and that sort of thing. <laughs> Why? Because uh, they weren't part of God's people. Because that was one of the signs of God's people. It represented the covenant of God. God Almighty told Abraham and his children to do that. So guess what? It showed you were in fellowship with God and wanting to obey God when you did it. That's a great thing. I guarantee you being separated from this world unto God is a wonderful thing. And to be in fellowship and obedience to God, your Father, is a great thing. Amen. So therefore, what it represents spiritually is tremendous. It shows a change in you, a permanent change. That skin didn't grow back. And likewise, there ought to be a change in you when you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, when you're saved. And number two, when you dedicate your life to him and promise to live in fellowship with him, which I hope you've all done. Your salvation, your eternal soul, is just based on the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I hope that you mean business for him to the point, usually the group that comes out on Sunday night, uh, is pretty good about that. They mean business about actually living for the Lord. They're not just looking for fire insurance, although that's a blessed thing, isn't it? <laughs> to have fire insurance and know you're not going to hell or the lake of fire. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Even in the Old Testament, there is reference to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, the Bible says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Any physical thing you do doesn't necessarily mean your heart has changed at all. So he said in Deuteronomy 30, I'll take care of that in your heart. Colossians chapter 2 also brings up a spiritual circumcision. It says, Colossians 2.11, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So circumcision represents separation from unbelievers, covenant of God, change of heart. That's, those are good things. Now, notice the people that are described as being the circumcision. First thing is they worship God in the spirit. Verse 3 says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. All right, now, uh, if you are the circumcision, if you are the group that Paul's talking about, here's what you do. You do worship God. Worship means you ascribe worth to him. It's like Amen. worth-ship. So you think he's worth something. He is not something you say a quick prayer over your meals and that's the only time you ever have any reference to him in your mind. You don't come just on Sunday morning to church and that's the only time he comes to mind. You don't think a little bit about him at Christmas and a little bit about him at Easter. No, he is worth more to you than that. He is valuable to you. They do worship God. All right, but that verse doesn't just say they worship God. Notice it says, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. All right, so uh, what's the spirit? Well, the spirit is that part of you which is not your body. If you give yourself the most delicious meal or the most delicious dessert that you love more than any other thing you ever eat, you might get plum excited about it, but that will not do one thing for your spirit. Good boy. Or if you eat the most healthy food and get the perfect exercise, that will make your body so strong that you'll live to be a hundred years old, it will not do one thing for your spirit. 
In other words, your spirit is that which is different than your body. The spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit. These two are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. If you worship God in the spirit, you worship him in some things that your body doesn't understand. Now, you can still, because your spirit is inside of your body, it can still, it can still use your body to play a, a hymn on a piano, or use your vocal cords to sing a hymn of praise to God, or to witness to somebody, or something like this, your body can be used in it, but your body doesn't get the good of it. You, your body doesn't get more healthy because of it. What happens is your spirit is nourished and ministered to. Your body is unchanged. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, indirectly it can, in that the closer I live to the Lord, the less I sin, and so therefore I'll stop doing some habits that probably are bad for my body and soul. And amen, that's good if you want to get it indirectly like that, but directly speaking, nobody ever sits under a spirit-powered message and, uh, you know, gets way more healthy. It does good for your spirit. It's a different thing. They worship God in the spirit as opposed to the flesh. John 4, 24, the Lord said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, another thing about the, the spirit, it's opposed to this world. You won't find the crowds, the hundreds of thousands in a crowd um, of this world worshiping with the Holy Spirit of God. That's, that's just not the way it works. The world, for the most part, goes against the Spirit. If you want to figure out if the Spirit is involved, and this gets a little bit into our sermon on being Spirit-filled, there are two things that are a dead giveaway that it is not the Spirit. Number one, if your flesh likes it. And number two, if the world in general likes it. They do not care anything for the Spirit. <laughs> they go against Him, and your flesh will go against Him. So they, they worship God in the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. All right, they also worship God in the spirit, in the sense that we sometimes use spirit, that is, with enthusiasm or fervor. Uh, we use the term team spirit. You go to a good football game or a good basketball game where the crowd is excited about the home team and it gets so loud you can't hear yourself talk to the person right beside you. You know why? They got some spirit, man. <laughs> we got the spirit. Yes, we do. We got the spirit. How about you? They're not talking about the Holy Spirit, I assure you. <laughs> but they got some fervor in it. Now listen, there ought to be some fervor and some excitement in you serving the Lord. Amen. You ought to be excited to do it. You ought to get a good feeling. Now there are some parts of it that is so displeasing to your flesh that a part of you kind of, dread, kind of dreads it, but boy, there's a part of you that loves it. There ought to be some fervor. Joshua 24, 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. You ought to be so excited about the Lord that there's some things you just put away. They just don't, they just don't bring the thrill that they used to bring anymore. And by the way, if you've just been saved or you're a very young person, I, I, I understand. It's going to take a while for some of these things to take hold. I don't look down on somebody that's a new Christian in particular and somebody that's very young and doesn't have much life experience yet. I don't look down at them because there's some of this they don't understand yet. They don't get it. 
There are some people been saved 20 and 30 years, and they're still doing exactly what their flesh tells them and exactly what the world around them tells them. And that is a bad sign. Now, I'm not saying it's good for a baby Christian. I'm not saying it's good for a young person. But I understand why they don't really get the difference yet. Now, you've been saved a couple decades, and you're still living like the world in the flesh. There, there's something wrong with still being a baby Christian when you're 20 years in. And we've got a lot of them in the Bible, Bill, I assure you. All right, so they worship God in the Spirit with enthusiasm or fervor. So they worship God in the Spirit, that is, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go over just a few things to review about the Holy Spirit and who He is. I assure you, He is a person. He is powerful. He makes a difference. Listen to these things, just a few. There's much more, but here's just a few just to remind you how great He is. The Spirit was active in creation. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, let me tell you something. Somebody that was involved in the creation of this world and universe, that's way bigger than any scientist or architect you've ever met. Amen. They couldn't touch just the earth, let alone the universe. And the Spirit was right there, active and part of the creation. All right, the Spirit is active in salvation. <laughs> when you got saved, the Spirit of God was right there. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of, re of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. When you take a lost, sinful man and he turns into a child of God and his life changes for the rest of his life, you got somebody that's got more power there than your average psychiatrist <laughs> by a long shot. I mean, changed them from the inside out, gave them a new heart. The Spirit's active in creation. He's active in salvation. The Spirit inspired Scripture. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the pro prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, by the Holy Ghost. This Bible has changed everything. And in our day, particularly the New Testament, changed everything, changed history. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one that inspired those men to speak what they spoke when somebody else wrote it down. It's unbelievable. Uh, furthermore, uh, our prayers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You can't be saved. Well, first of all, you couldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, because he was involved in creation. You can't be saved without him. You can't read your Bible without him. You can't pray without him. Now, if you weren't created, and you weren't saved, and you couldn't read your Bible, and you couldn't pray, where would you be? Amen. I mean, he is absolutely imperative. You have to have him, period, end of sentence. Good boy. Spirit, furthermore than that, Ephesians, this will be the last one because i got to move on. But the Spirit makes us sing. He makes us give thanks. He helps us submit. 
Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit that makes you sing. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit that gives you that blessed characteristic that we sing about. Count your blessings. Ephesians 5.21, the very next verse, still part of the same sentence, says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If you have the Holy Spirit filling you and controlling you, you don't have any problem singing praises to God, giving thanks always to God, and submitting to authority. If you've got somebody that doesn't sing praises to God, doesn't thank God, and has trouble submitting to authority, Holy Spirit is not running their life. They may be saved, but they have grieved him into where he is not empowered in their lives at all. All three of those things are from the Holy Spirit of God. So they do worship God in the Spirit. All right, but that's not all our text says. Philippians 3, verse uh, 3 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. What was the first words out of his mouth in chapter 3, verse 1? Finally, my brethren rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> when somebody has gotten off of the law and in love with Jesus Christ, their personality changes, their mannerisms change, where rejoicing is a big part of it. When somebody is always stern, always serious, always tense, always nervous, always angry, they may be saved, but they are not filled with the Spirit. Rejoice. Here in the book of Philippians, I don't know how, I don't remember how many times joy and rejoicing is mentioned, but it is over and over again. True. The Holy Spirit of God gives you joy even in a jail cell, like he did the Apostle Paul. What were they doing at midnight in a jail? And the jails weren't like the jails today. <laughs> I mean, what were they doing in there? At midnight, they were singing praises to God. It's unbelievable, the, the joy that they have. So, number one, they do rejoice. Number two, they rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a big difference. A lot of times people say, well, Christians don't have joy. And I hate to, say, I hate to admit it, but the world's right there. The flesh is right there. There have been plenty of times even my own kids have said, why aren't you happier? to me because I was nervous and tense and worried about responsibilities and things I needed to do and I felt the weight of them and I had no joy. What's wrong with my children? Why won't they praise me? Am I not the king of kings? Am I not the lord of lords? What's wrong with my children? Why won't they praise me? I've given them everything yet they have no joy. There is something wrong with your Pauline Christianity if you don't often have rejoicing. Paul said rejoice, and again I say rejoice. There is something wrong with that stern frown that is way too often on too many of our faces. Now, I understand. I know the other side of it. The other side of it is you get reading the Bible, and you get looking at church history, and you remember the way things used to be, maybe even in some of your lives, and then you look at the world today, and you think, good Lord, what is going to happen to us? We're obviously going under. I do admit you have a point there. 
But here's what gets you through that, remembering you're still with your husband, the most loving husband there's ever been, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and him are going through this thing together. Amen. And when you're with somebody that is that wonderful and that perfect, it doesn't much matter what's going on around you. You're with the one you love. What the problem many times is we get looking at the world around us and take our eyes off of Jesus. They do rejoice, but they rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, he's talking up here about the law in this passage. So let me say this. When you're rejoicing in Christ Jesus, you rejoice in him as the end of the law. Now, a lot of brethren, when they get talking about these things, yeah, we need to get rid of this law. Well, man, this is living according to the law. Man, this being a bunch of Pharisees. No, no, no. Wrong emphasis. The problem is not the law. The law came straight from God. The problem is me and you can't live up to it. It's a great law. Jesus did every bit of it. He wouldn't have done it if it was bad, would he? It's a great thing. I don't believe Jesus does anything bad. So if Jesus fulfilled the law, it must be a great thing. But I'll admit this, I don't much like the law. <laughs> but not because it's bad, because I am. Amen. So you know why we can rejoice in Christ Jesus? Because he is the end of the law. Amen. Thank God that thing is gone. Again, I do not want to offend my Lord by saying I'm glad it's gone because it's bad. I'm just glad I, it's gone because that's a lot for me to try to keep up with. Now, we can also rejoice in Christ Jesus because he is the coming of grace and truth. He's not only the end of the law, but he's the beginning of grace and truth. Amen. We some of our Christmas hymns even speak of him in that way. Grace. Wow. Wow. When you see your failures and you realize how you have not lived up to what God has commanded, and all of a sudden you say, but here's just grace. Wow, is that a blessing. And still be truth. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and the blessings of Christ. Where the law only showed you unable, he enables. Isn't that something? Isn't that a blessing? I get so tired of being beat down that I'm doing wrong. Believe me, I know it. I need a reminder every now and then when I get a little too big for my britches and get a little overconfident but I don't need to be told too often. Believe me, I beat myself up about it quite a bit. So when somebody comes along and number one offers grace and number two says, here, I'll help you to do a lot better. That's a blessing. No wonder they rejoice in Christ Jesus. And you say, yeah, but I still sin all the time. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Isn't that something? Yeah. If you and I... We're sinlessly perfect like Jesus is. And somebody else was failing, wouldn't we say, you ought to be doing good like me. <laughs> wouldn't that be our tendency? I've known some people that live pretty righteous lives. They tend to self-righteousness. I've done it myself. But the Lord Jesus Christ can be holy and sinless and advocate for me to the Father rather than condemn me further to the Father. Wow, what a no wonder they rejoice in Christ Jesus. And they rejoice in the worthiness of Christ. He is holy, harmless, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Now again, 
If he was up there saying, look, I took every temptation you got and I didn't give in to any of them. Why are you doing that? And he was beating us up further. I bet we wouldn't be rejoicing in Christ Jesus. I mean, he would be right. Don't misunderstand. I'm not questioning that he would be right, but I wouldn't be rejoicing in him. <laughs> it isn't a righteousness I would rejoice in because it was beating me up. But if he is that holy and righteous and still helping me up, I can rejoice in that because I got somebody that's helping me up that I know can. We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And there's one more point. Have no confidence in the flesh. He doesn't say not much. <laughs> he says no confidence in the flesh. Dr. Ruckman often quoted that verse. All flesh is grass. <laughs> I don't care if it's the best preacher you know, the sweetest Christian lady you know, the most virtuous person you know, the most chaste virgin you know, they have flesh that you better not put one bit of confidence in. You don't need your pastor not having checks and balances on him. You don't need your deacons not having checks and balances on him. You don't need your old trustworthy men not having checks and balances on them. You don't need your chaste, virtuous ladies not having chaste uh, Checks and balances on them. You don't know your, need your children not having checks and balances on them. Anybody in flesh needs checks and balances on them. Amen. Police. You know what police have? They have a group called internal audit. Or internal affairs, I'm sorry. Internal affairs with the police and businesses have a group <coughs> called internal audit. You know what that's doing? That's saying even our trustworthy people that handle our money and do our things, we got people checking on them. You know why? Because they figured out everybody's flesh. And under the right circumstances, under the right temptations, me and you and everybody else will fail. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Always have those things in place. Have no confidence in the flesh. Number one, in its outward show. Let me tell you what the world loves. It likes its religion to have these huge, beautiful cathedrals. Gorgeous architecture, stained glass windows, artwork, all that stuff. What's that? Outward, literal, physical stuff that the flesh is pleased by. Sumptuous food. That's, that's bad, buddy. I love that. This world has got some food, does it not? <laughs> I mean, now I'm one of these people I'm easy to please anyway. I don't care if it's McDonald's or Brazero's Brazilian Steakhouse in Knoxville, I like the whole spectrum of the food. They, to me, they've worked it all out and made it all delicious. I can't think of the last time I was at a restaurant and got something I didn't like. I can't remember that. <laughs> I love this world's food. It just all tastes good to me. You know what this spirit is not concerned with? It is not concerned with that which tastes good to your flesh. That's not what it's concerned with. We have no, spiritually speaking, we have no confidence in the flesh. Galatians 6.12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, what do they do? Constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see the problem? As long as you're doing stuff that has an outward show in the flesh, the world can get on board with that. They can like your religion because there's no persecution that way. 
But the minute you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal salvation by grace through faith alone and the King James Bible and the old-fashioned religion, now there's, there's some persecution comes there because the devil doesn't like it. We have no uh, confidence in the flesh in its outward show. We have no confidence in the flesh in its intellect. You know what your brain is? It's a big hunk of meat, a big bunch of flesh. <laughs> a lot of people get thinking, oh, I'm not into just the, you know, the food and the uh, oversleeping and the feeling good from drugs and alcohol or sex or whatever the you know feels good to the flesh. Oh no, I'm much more cerebral than that. <laughs> hey, let me tell you about your cerebellum. <laughs> let me tell you about your brain. It's just a big hunk of flesh like the rest of your body is. That's just a different part of your flesh. <laughs> so we don't think that a, a human brain is all that smart. We have no confidence in it. Uh, how about the flesh's ability to reform itself? I will admit, once in a while, there is somebody that stops the way they've been eating, and they'll lose 100 pounds or more. Man, that's tremendous. That is good. But number one, that's rare. And number two, that still doesn't do much for your spirit, does it? We are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No, in its ability to reform itself. Once in a while, somebody that was hooked on drugs gets off of it. Thank God. Somebody that was a bad drunk gets off of it. Thank God. Somebody that lived a promiscuous lifestyle settles down and starts living a godly, clean lifestyle. Praise God. I mean, I thank God that this does happen. But as I said, it tends to be rare and still doesn't help your spirit. All right, uh, we have no confidence in the flesh in its ability for good works. Paul said, if there is anybody that might have confidence in the flesh, I more, and he tells all his stuff, including in the law, blameless. Now, buddy, I, I will absolutely give a bow of respect and appreciation to somebody that was blameless in that Old Testament law. Paul said, forget it. I'll count it as dumb. He said in another place, not I, but the grace of God in me. He said in another place, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In another place, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus told his disciples, without me you can do nothing. Everybody's all excited about the circumcision, and keeping that Old Testament <coughs> Jewish circumcision. Paul said, let me tell you the new spiritual church age version of that. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. But it did represent believing God. I'll guarantee you, especially as a grown-up, if you went through circumcision, you believed something. I'll give you that. And the difference from unbelievers. And it showed the covenant of God and fellowship with him and represented a change that is permanent. Now, if these things are in your life, I'll tell you this. You worship God in the Spirit, you rejoice in Christ Jesus, and you have no confidence in the flesh. Now, I'm going to ask you tonight. Do you worship God in the Spirit? Is he worth something to you? Do you put as much time and thought and effort into him as you do making your money? 
as you do keeping your house and car fixed and working and raising your kids and preparing the things that you have to prepare for every day, <coughs> worship God in the Spirit, do you rejoice in Christ Jesus? A lot of times when you take on all those responsibilities, oh, the burden on your shoulders. And oh, the tension and the nerves, Lord knows I've had them. Casting all your care on him who careth for you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Have his burden, because his burden is light. His yoke is easy. Do you rejoice in Christ Jesus? Is your confidence in the flesh, its looks, its abilities, its works, its repentance, the arm of flesh will fail you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this 